is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And as the owner of the station, I always take this opportunity to go on the air. I don't generally go on the air very often, but uh, it's uh, my responsibility and I always take pleasure in introducing a brand new show. And it's uh, a delight to have uh, Doug Dahlgren in here. He's going to be doing a show called The Prologue. And uh, Doug has uh, gone over, I'm a little slow in the uptake, so Doug went over the uh, reason that he named the show The Prologue, and um, it's a delight to have you, a delight to welcome you to the, the America's Web Radio family, and I know that uh, today you've already got a great show lined up, and it'll be uh, not only entertaining, but very informative for folks, and uh, we look forward to a long and um, very informative relationship on uh, with your show and, and the things that you do, Doug. Well, thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and yes, I've got the, the best guest anybody could ever have. And uh, this gentleman, you're going to love him. And uh, if it's all right, let's just get into it. All right. I am Doug Dahlgren, and welcome to our new program here on America's Web Radio. I thank each and every one of you for listening, wherever you might be. Now, I understand that the reach of America's Web Radio is worldwide, and that includes many in our uniformed service, men, women, in the armed forces who are listening worldwide, wherever you might be stationed. I want us to remember those who put themselves between us and the evil that's out there. Now, while the politicians and pundits claim spotlights and all the attention, we, the American people, know and understand it's you guys who are there for us. I want you to know we appreciate you and pray Godspeed for your safe return. Now, this program is called The Prologue, and that's for a good reason. I plan to introduce you to exciting and interesting authors that you may not have heard of before. Today's author is an American military veteran and a wounded hero wounded in action in Iraq. His actions there and since his injuries have distinguished him as a true American hero. His name is one you might know. He's been on and been recognized by other interviewers numerous times about his recovery and his work with other wounded veterans. But are you aware of his terrific book? His name is Shiloh Harris, and the book is Steel Will. And this is your prologue. Building bridges to open hearts. Please don't forget that quote. February 19, 2007, a five-man team of cavalry scouts from B Troop, 1st Squadron, 89th Cavalry, 10th Mountain Division, were mounted in their high-mobility, multi-purpose wheeled vehicle. It's known to us from the news reports as a Humvee. They were third in line of a convoy of four vehicles. It's a convoy of four vehicles. They rode through an area south of Baghdad known then as the Triangle of Death. Their mission was to locate and disarm an improvised explosive device, that's an IED, that had been reported in the area. Now, find it they did, but not as they would have chosen. A detonator on a bridge nearby triggered an explosion that caught one of the Humvees from below, directly behind the driver's seat. Of the five-man team, three were lost immediately. Two were severely injured. One of the injured was the team leader, Staff Sergeant Shiloh Harris. As hard as it might be to believe, Shiloh's story did not end that day. Rather, it just began. 
His legacy would not be his wounds or even his amazing survival from them. It is, rather, what he has done and continues to do to build those bridges to open hearts. Welcome with me, please, U.S. Staff Sergeant Retired Shiloh Harris. How are you this morning, Shiloh? Man, it is great to hear you. Uh, uh, I'm just humbled at that introduction uh, and uh, the way you introduced me and and saying that I'm a a great guest to have. uh, I'm absolutely honored. Thank you so very much, Mr. Dogger. Well, I'll tell you what, Shiloh, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you again, and I want to thank you for joining me here on America's Web Radio. I understand you had a procedure yesterday. Yes, sir, I did. Uh, It was was a little tougher than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I have uh, prosthetic ears, as you know, and there's titanium studs that go all the way into my skull, and they're supposed to be secure, so that way the body doesn't reject them. I kept getting infections and swelling and and I've had a lot of issues with them over the last year or two and uh, anyway so I went and I talked to a surgeon at the oral surgery and they said yeah we can just clean that up put a little uh, graph in there and you'll be good to go and that, that's, that's the way he described it <laughs> well when I woke up yesterday I was like hey wow huh. it was, uh, my head was throbbing and I was really, really sore and pretty wiped out. So, But uh, I'm feeling a lot better this morning. Got some rest last night. Got to spend some time with the kiddos, and, and uh, we're starting our day off right. Well, excellent. I appreciate you even considering being with us this morning after what you've been through. Folks that don't know, uh, you will shortly. Uh, Shiloh suffered some rather severe injuries in that blast about eight years ago, and uh, he's been on TV. He's been on other radio interviews and things of that nature. But uh, he was severely burned, and as he said, he's got prosthetic ears and a tip of his nose and things of that nature that the rest of us can't even fathom trying to deal with. So we thank you so much for being here with us. Your, your story is, is quite remarkable. Uh, September 11th of 2001 stirred many of the patriots uh, in this country, and a lot of them went and enlisted, enlisted in the armed forces shortly after that. You were one of those that enlisted after 2001, isn't that correct? Yes, sir. I, I just I felt compelled. Uh, you know, our nation was attacked. I mean, it was my home. It was everybody's home here. And, and I have a family, not just my immediate family, but, you know, i got, you know, family all over the countryside. And it just scared me to death to think, you know, that if they, they were that bold to come over here and three well-coordinated attacks, you know, I was like, what's to stop them from doing more? And I came from a family of veterans. My father was a Vietnam veteran. My grandfather served in World War II in Korea. And I guess it was just kind of second nature. I was like, you know what, i got to do whatever it takes for me to get in the military. So that's what I did. I went down to the, to the recruiter, and I told him, I said, I'll do whatever it takes. i got to serve my nation. Because like you, I mean, it scared me. You were 27 years old at the time. Now, that's that's kind of mature for a new recruit into the Army. Uh, that's really a young man's game. Uh, and yet, at that age, you you just excelled in both the uh, basic training and in the advanced military or advanced infantry training. Am I right? Yes, sir. Yeah, it was, it was really funny because the recruiter was a fan of his man. He, he kind of joked with me. He said, you know, you're starting a little late. And I was like, well, is it too late? And he goes, well, it might not be too late. I had to get a waiver, an age waiver, because, you know, he was... 
these idiots having a house for students, college students come in all the time. And uh, so it was, it was, uh, I was worried that I was going to be that old guy and basic. I was 27 years old. Some of these guys were calling me pops. I was like, come on, guys, I'm not that old. But uh, I was, actually, I excelled uh, in fitness and uh, and everything else. With, uh, basic, I had, I think I was top five of the entire uh, group that I was with. And uh, I just loved it. I was like, I was a shoe in. You know, my backyard looked like an obstacle course when I was growing up. So a lot of that stuff I didn't find it real challenging. Coming from a military family really didn't hurt you. You mentioned already that your background is military, uh, from your father and your grandfather. Uh, and your father particularly was quite a tough taskmaster, and he, he taught you toughness at a very early age. That's right. Uh, my daddy just, you know, we didn't have a, an off switch. You know, from the time I was 12 years old, I worked out there right alongside him uh, with whatever he was doing. And, uh, you know, my daddy worked in the oil field uh, a lot of my youth, and he got injured, and then we moved out to Coleman, Texas, which is just below Abilene. And that's where I went to high school and graduated. But um, through pretty much all my middle school and high school years, you know, we did uh, uh, outdoor jobs, you know, trimming trees, lawn yards, uh, a, lot of, a lot of work with our hands. And then at one point we opened up a, a store, which was a bait store, tire store, and a lot of mechanic work, car washes. You know, we just did a little bit of, of everything there, and I got a lot of experience there. Uh, I was sometimes doing my homework by flashlight in the backseat of the pickup. Uh, on the way to the house after work, so you know it was. Uh, it taught me taught me a lot of a lot of things, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, my dad he did teach me how to be tough too. You know, the not that I work, not just did I work like a man, but we played hard too. You know, I was talking about the obstacle course in the backyard. That's no joke. You know, we had ropes and and bridges and rock climbing stuff and a lot of trees and and uh, he would sometimes time me. It's a little course, and, and I'd try to get through that thing as quick as I could. I'd have blood running, sweat running. Uh, you know, it made me tough. And I'm, if it hadn't been for that stuff, I might not be here today. So I feel real fortunate that I had the daddy I did. Well, now, you also, on top of the training, uh, you believe that your dad suffered from what we today call PTSD. That's post-traumatic stress disorder. Veterans of World War II, Korea, and even Vietnam were described as coming home shell-shocked or some other euphemism. But medical science had not yet really figured out what was going on back then, had they? Right. And I guess you could say as much as I learned what to do, I learned also what not to do for my father. And uh, I never understood a lot of the things that he did or why he you know, had the reactions that he did. But, uh, you know, of course, now that I've gone through it and I have PTSD myself, I better understand it. But growing up in the household that I did and watching some of the things that he did that I didn't agree with, I've learned how to, I guess you could say, control myself. And it gave me preparation to be a better man overall and uh, hopefully you know, get through this PTSD and, and not have my children raised up in, in such a, a volatile household. And yet that harshness that you went through uh, 
really helped you with the harshness of the military training when you got to basic and also to AIT. Uh, and, in fact, that puts you ahead of some of those younger, maybe in better shape recruits, didn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah, as a matter of fact, a lot of the younger guys, even some of the NCOs that, you know, outranked me, would come and, and confide in me. Uh, you know, it was like I just had a lot of people's respect. And and so uh, my age definitely played a factor in my military service as well as my recovery. You know, I, even though I was learning how to get through the military, I did really well with that. You know, then I get blown up. Now i got to figure out how to get through this medical system. And I think that's a – I had an advantage over some of these young service members that, uh, you know, are going through this. Let's take my driver, for example. He was fresh out of high school, got blown up, and he was just barely learning the military language. He, I think he'd been in Iraq probably two or three months before we got blown up. And he hadn't been in the military, but just a few months before that. So, you know, he he didn't understand much about life in itself. And now he's got to figure out how to get through the medical system, how to get through the uh, Army medical system and the VA medical system. He didn't even realize that he had VA benefits coming. They'd been trying to track him down after he got out of the military. So, you know, there's, I think there's a, still a, a gap, and uh, my age definitely helped me, and that's something that I'm trying to do now is help other veterans through their recovery. Something that a guy that's uh, a bit advanced in age, uh, even though 27 doesn't sound like that old, uh, you were constantly trying to prove yourselves to these younger boys, weren't you? Did you say that one more time? I said you were constantly trying to prove yourself to the younger men, uh, just just something internal because of your age. Yeah, it, it, I did. I, I uh, caught myself, you know, a few times trying to keep up or outdo them, uh, you know, because, uh, uh, like I said, some of the NCOs that outranked me, you know, were, you know, significantly younger. So, you know, I had to really prove myself. There's a bit of a stereotype. That if you have, if you don't have any rank and you're, you know, older, then you're probably not very smart because you couldn't make it on the outside, or you got, you've been in the military a little while, and you and you got in trouble. So well, you know, I had to really overcome both those stereotypes. We're going to talk and, uh, a bit, you know, Charlotte. We're going to talk I'm more sorry. about that in just a second. Here, we're on a hard break. We're going to take for just a couple of minutes, but we're here on okay. America's Web Radio. My name's Doug Dahlgren. You're listening to the Prologue. Our guest today is Staff Sergeant Shiloh Harris. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, Visit LibertyOnCall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. 
Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead Revolutionary War heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back. My name is Doug Dahlgren. You are listening to the prologue. Prologue is a little introduction to books that you may not have been aware of before. This morning our book is called Steel Will. Our guest is the author, Staff Sergeant Retired Shiloh Harris. Shiloh, uh, when the attack came on the country, you initially went to try to join the Air Force, but uh, that didn't quite work out. They pointed the way down the street to the Army recruiter. How did that come about? Well, it was really funny because I was just on Seymour Johnson uh, Air Force Base not too long ago, and I was I was joking around with the airmen that I actually tried to join the Air Force first. And I went into the Air Force recruiting office, and the recruiter I think he saw me coming too because he was he was shaking his head almost immediately. And uh, anyway, I went in there, and, and uh, I had a full bird colonel with me that was willing to uh, vouch for me and, and say you know that uh, I was a good person and. Uh, regardless of my age and stuff, you know, and, and try to get me in. And that recruiter was like, look, man, I got college kids coming in here every day. They said, I can't use you. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine, you know. And uh, I figured I was just going to go door to door until somebody did take me. Well, I'm walking out there for recruiter, and the recruiter was waiting on me. He was, he was outside the door, literally waiting for me to walk out the Air Force recruiting door. <laughs> and I said, I said, you waiting on me? And he goes, Yes, sir. I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> we went in there, and I told him, I said, you know, I said, I'll sign up for six years. I want combat arms, and, and I don't have any illusions about where I'm going. And he said, okay, let's do it. So that, that's what I did. You know, I don't have any regrets. I loved it. I loved being in the Army. Patriotism was running high back then. I had been out of the service for, goodness sakes, uh, 35 years, I guess, at that point, and I had a tug at my heart and soul that uh, telling me I needed to do something. So as foolish as that may have been for a 50-year-old man, I, I uh, you know, that that's the way we all felt. And it's a shame we don't still feel that way, to be honest with you, but stuff like that kind of wanes. Now, once you got to Iraq... You that rather quickly became a squad leader in a scout troop. Now, tell us how you became uh, the leader of that scout team. The uh, the first deployment or the second deployment? I apologize. I'm having a hard well, time. Well, the, the second time around, yeah. I'm, okay. Yeah, when we went over there the, on the second deployment, I was with the 10th Mountain Division, uh, 189 Cav, and we were mostly light uh, Humvees, and we were stationed just south of Baghdad uh, in uh, uh, Bob Strucker. And even though, you know, we were still doing tactical stuff, you know, it seemed like we were doing a lot more of the recovery and humanitarian stuff, doing medical supplies, over rebuild schools, and stuff like that. And it was really rewarding for me to see that side of that also. But uh, right after 
Saddam was was hanged, uh, they wanted us to go out and try to find out how uh, some of these people in our community that was really close to the base felt about it. So when we went out uh, to one of the little villages right outside of the gate, we went in there and, and we got a, this the lady was, she was like, it don't matter, he's been gone a long time. You know, she said she was worried about the people that are closer, you know, like, I guess, people in the next village that would have been harassing the town. Uh, the the community, you know, firefight with the other community, literally, like, while we were in the compound. So as we're walking out, we try to get over there, you know, as long as it looks like maybe they're shooting at us or, or shooting at our vehicles outside the building or outside the compound. So we're trying to sneak over there, and as we come around the corner, they see us and they start shooting at us. So anyway, I guess what is it? The enemy of my enemy. So anyway, we uh, we almost got shot in the face. My other buddy that was there almost got shot in the face, and uh, hit the rock rock uh, rock building right beside us. Rock flew up on our face, and I stepped back. We both got to cover, and I looked at my team. And I think that was the first time I realized how young they were. I mean, it was, it was like I was looking at this team. It had this dismount team, and everybody there was like under 24. And they were just looking at me with these big old eyes like, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And uh, we backtracked and got out of there, and, and uh, we came up on the building. We was going to clear the building. We cleared the entire building and uh, that ran off before we got there. But um, that right there, that really helped my fire team have confidence in my abilities. Because, you know, I got us to the, the high-risk position, and then we actually was able to take over the building. And uh, we got shot at it a couple times as we was moving around. But, you know, nobody was injured, and uh, we did it as safely, as quickly as possible. Now, this and was... it was just uh, it was an amazing experience. Uh, for me, as well as scary, but, you know, uh, I had some of the best soldiers working with me that uh, an NCO could have. This was and, just uh, before I, February I now. Home. Can you hear me, Shiloh? This was right before yeah. February of 07, right? When, when yes, I, sir. That, yeah, okay. that was right before. And your but, team... You know, I built this confidence up with my team. Right. Now, your team was a five-man team that rode as scouts in this Humvee. Uh, now, the book, Steel Will, which was written by you and also you had help from Robin Overby Cox, and the book just describes the explosion and its aftermath in a way that really puts the reader there. Uh, so we we want the folks to, to read that to get the full feeling of what you folks went through. Where can our readers find your book? We've been talking about it. Where can they go to get Steel Will? Well, they had it on Amazon, and uh, a lot of Barnes & Noble has them. Uh, I think I've seen one, uh, I've seen it several in some of the airport uh, bookstores. And, of course, if people want an autographed book, they can go to my website, shallowharris.com, and order a book directly from me. And I can mail them out a book, you know, and it'll have my autograph, and I'll sign it to them. But, uh, you know, we've just been really blessed. We really have been. Uh, we've got a lot of support from a lot of good bookstores carrying the book. That sounds like the way folks need to go, really. The website is shilohharris.com, 
and there's directions on there how to go to a spot and point and tell them that you would like Shiloh to autograph one for you and send it to you. Now, your injuries that day, Shiloh, were quite severe. In fact, you had third-degree burns over 35% of your body. Uh, It caused you to lose your ears, tip of your nose, three fingers. The crushing explosion actually broke your left collarbone and the C7 vertebra. Now, you were actually in a medical-induced coma for how long was it after that? I spent 48 days in a medical-induced coma. And I don't know if you were asking about it. And, uh, on February 19th is, is when the explosion happened. And where you, I know you described some of it. But, uh, you know, when we started talking about the explosion and writing this book, is like a lot of the, the soldiers that was on the ground that day was really willing and ready to contribute. You know, because they felt like this needed to be told because we all lost three friends that day. And that was uh, one of the true meanings behind the book was bringing recognition to the ones that didn't make it home and then hopefully helping those that are still here that are suffering from PTSD and other scars, visible and invisible. Listeners, those of you who are watching on the streaming, we've got Shiloh's book. His page is up on there now, so you can go and you can see what the page looks like. Uh, And then if you're not doing that, you can also just on your own go to uh, www.shilohharris.com and bring it up yourself. Now, Shiloh, in, in your book, you describe that 48 days in that medically induced coma as being in hell. That's part of the subtitle for your book, is it not? Yes, sir. Uh, my journey through hell to become the man I was meant to be, and I really believe that, is that um, that coma was the scariest, darkest, most helpless place I've ever been. And is uh, I used to have nightmares more about my coma time and my dreams in that coma than any service or anything bad that's ever happened to me. And you know, I served honorably. You know, I didn't do anything in the military that I regret. And uh, even the explosion, you know, I just remember bits and pieces of it. But uh, I say. That was that was one scary dark place. I don't ever want to go back there. A lot of people uh, probably are aware of this already, but uh, doctors will put a patient, particularly with bad burns like you had, they'll put them into that coma because uh, the amount of pain medication it would take to keep you from experiencing the pain would just practically kill you on its own. So they tend to put patients in a coma so that they'll sleep through that, and yet you can testify to the fact that that's not really a uh, a, a, uh, a restful period of time, and it really wasn't for you either. Yeah, absolutely. I met another lady not too long ago. She said she spent 70 days in a coma after a car accident, and uh, she wanted to find out my feeling and my description of it. And the way she described it, it was like an alternate reality, but if it's like you're actually living your life still, but you can't touch anybody, you can't. It's it's like you just, it's the most helpless feeling, and that's what she she said exactly was. You know, she said she just felt helpless, and uh, you know, she said it was really distorted. She could see her family family spaces at times, but she couldn't touch them, couldn't communicate with them. But it was like she was living right there alongside. It was really crazy listening to her side of it, too. Because uh, she helped me better understand some of the things that I was saying. She spent 
70 days in a coma. Couldn't even imagine. Well, now, as hard as that was for you, your family wasn't having exactly a great time also. They, they were told at one point during this that you had a 2% chance of recovery. Uh, that's, that had to be terrifying for those who were around you. Right, and that's something that, you know, we, we brought to light and still will was the journey of all of us. You know, we, we, when I say we, you know, this was a we thing. We, we all went through this. I got blown up, but the explosion affected everybody close to me. You know, even my mother and father, my, my children, my uh, wife at the time, you know, it affected each and every one of us in many, many ways. And, and we wanted to be sure and highlight that uh, journey with the family so that way other people realize that if they're going through something it's not just a, um, you know it's it has an effect on everybody and then it's it's a family healing process so that's kind of where we are today is is a family healing process you know the kids have been all in counseling and uh, I know that um, uh, ex-wife is uh, going through counseling and, and really trying to find herself, but we have all just, you know, worked really hard to, to come through this and find ourselves and hopefully get on to better days. Folks, we are talking to Staff Sergeant Retired Shiloh Harris. We're talking about his wonderful book, Steel Will. It's one that you'll want for your library, I know. Right now we're going to take a couple of breaks. My name is Doug Dahlgren. You're listening to the Prologue on America's Web Radio. This is Peter Wallace inviting you to listen every Sunday morning to Day One with inspiring preachers from America's mainline churches on AmericasWebRadio.com. From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back again. My name is Doug Dahlgren. This is the Prologue. We're talking today with retired Staff Sergeant Shiloh Harris 
about his book, Steel Will. Now, Shiloh, uh, you were injured in Iraq in 2007. It's been over eight years since that fateful day. How many surgeries, including yesterday, how many surgeries have you endured since that time? Well, thankfully, it's time yesterday was number 78. 78. My goodness. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you've got uh, surgery fatigue? Uh, yes, sir. Well, right before I retired in 2010, I got to that point where I was like, you know what, I'm done. I came out of surgery, and the individual was just, it made me so sick. I'm so nauseated. It's all like I for two days. I just felt like I had a, a hangover, you know, it just a really bad hangover. Folks, those of you who might be just turning in, um, Shiloh was severely injured. He was burned uh, dramatically over 35% of his body. A lot of that was in the facial area. He lost his ears, the tip of his nose. Uh, yesterday he had a procedure that was, what was it, strengthening the titanium plugs that are in there that hold on the prosthetic ears. But picture this gentleman today trying to understand my questions through gauze and freshly worked on little nods going into his skull uh, from surgery he just had yesterday. And and the man is here talking about being a little wimpish. Uh, My goodness, this guy's a hero, and uh, uh, we just thank him for coming on. I wouldn't have blamed him if he'd called this morning or had Jamie call and say, hey, we're not going to do this. But the man is here, and we're we're thankful for that. Uh, You know, Shiloh... There was two of you that survived that Humvee that day uh, with the IED blast. You and your driver, a young man named Adam Devine. Now, you you didn't know about Adam. You didn't know about the other casualties for quite some time, did you? Yes, sir. That's correct. And I know this uh, is... I want to say thank you, you know, for recognizing 
but we could have canceled. But I want you to know we sold on and and I'm proud to be on your show. I just uh, want to make sure you know that. But uh, yeah, uh, honestly, the, I knew that Adam and I was after right after the explosion, we had been evacuated to Baghdad together, and we had communicated right up to the point where he goes one direction and I go another. Well, Adam, he was telling me later. He freaked out because when they wheeled me in, in direction, he didn't realize that I had left the room. And he asked the, one of the nurses or the doctor, and I said, he's like, where's Sergeant Harris? And they said, oh, he's gone. He thought I had passed away. So, you know, for a, he thought that, that I had, that was gone, gone. And uh, later he found out, oh, you know, Charles was just <laughs> taking, you know, to the burn ward and tended to. Well, they come to visit me in the hospital there in, in San Antonio. And I remember he just walked in and started crying. And he was like, Sergeant Harris, I'm so sorry. This is all my fault. And I was like, how is it your fault? And he goes, I was driving. And I said, well, if it's anybody's fault, it's my fault. Because I was trying to make I said, but here's the thing. I said, I don't think it's either one of my fault. I said, a bad person put a bomb in the road and then blew it up on us. I said, it, it's his fault. It's that bad guy's fault, not our fault. And I let this probably goes on both our parts, I know, but That's one of the major you know, I, signs. I was trying to make him feel better and I said, I said, look, man, I said, well, it is, you know, I'll sit down and talk about it and figure things out and, and if there's any blame to be had, we'll, we'll you know, throw it out. I said, but I said, well, we'll just walk it together. And when I said that, it was like he just froze and, and looked over at my, my wife at the time, and he said, and I, I knew with that look that somebody didn't make it. When he left, you know, she started talking to me, and and, uh, and I said, okay, I said, who didn't make it? And she said, well, Solo, she said, you and Adam are going to survive. And I just lost it. I literally cried for three days. I, I cried until there was no more tears. The responsibility. I, I couldn't sleep. And being in a military hospital, you know, after visiting hours, I couldn't have any, anybody in the room with me. I begged them. I was like, please let somebody come in and stay with me through the night. And they couldn't do it. You know, they couldn't break policy for me because then that means they'd have to do it for somebody else. And it was it was devastating. It took me forever to overcome that. Your but description, your description of Adam's reaction when he saw you, um, and even to some degree, I think finding out that the three men behind you were dead for the first time—that's that, natural and, and not necessarily PTSD. But I know that that you do suffer from that now, and and that is an ongoing issue. But the way you describe Adam coming to you and what he went through. That is a, a key indicator of PTSD, especially from those who were wounded and survived. Uh, that's that guilt feeling of survival when others did not. Uh, and yours has kind of settled into that yourself now these days, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that, that's something I recognize with him is, you know, you, you, he came in and he did that. And, of course, he had survivor guilt. And of course, you know, it relates to PTSD. And there's so many others that do that same thing. 
But I really recognize it with him because he started drinking with his, uh, you know, prescription meds. And, and I remember him coming over to my house one time, and he was so stoned that he couldn't communicate. And I was still really banged up, could barely talk. And I was like, uh, I said, I was trying to get on him like an angel would, but he just wasn't, he wasn't done. He was just like, whatever, I couldn't even walk after him. I knew I needed to do something and because I, I, I didn't want to lose him too. And I went to the first sergeant the next morning formation, and this was a, a real trial just for me to get out of bed. It took me, you know, 15 minutes to get out of bed, 20 minutes to get ready, and then, you know, and this is a, I don't have to brush my hair if that tells you anything. So, <laughs> you know, I get out there, I go to the first sergeant, and I tell the first sergeant what's going on, and I said, look, I said, I can't be an NCO like I, I need to be. I don't want to see him in trouble, but he needs help. That morning, the person I had one of the NCOs over there, they had to kick in the door at the barracks because Adam would be that night. He literally OD. If I hadn't gone up there and done the right thing, I would have lost everybody in my crew. And I wouldn't have been able to deal with that. But even today, we're dealing with service members, not just ODN, but their service members killing themselves every day. We're having an average of 22 suicides a day in the veteran and military community. And to me, that's unacceptable. It's totally unacceptable. That's something that if I had a soapbox that I could get on, I would I would try to get everybody in this country's ears. The way we treat our veterans uh, today is just a national tragedy. It's an embarrassment, to be quite honest with you. PTSD is not always something that is as visible as the wounds that Shiloh has or A.J. Martinez has or, or others who you see on TV with the Wounded Warrior Project. Uh, those are obvious wounds. A lot of these guys come home with wounds that are mental, and they're covered up by what we perceive as mental toughness, and we're proud of that, and we pat them on the back and send them on their way, and yet these guys are suffering from PTSD in very severe ways, and they're ticking time bombs. Um, there, there's a, a thing that's being worked on in San Antonio at the hospitals there, uh, trying to do baseline studies. They do this with pilots where they'll do a psychological study uh, before they go into deployment, before they go over into a war zone, so they can come back and do that same study afterwards to tell if there's any change in that person's psyche. Because these guys, a lot of them, they don't want to admit that they've experienced anything over there. They don't want to admit that they're damaged because that's an embarrassment to them. But we... we well, it's, 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 even more than that, what are you taught from the minute you join the military? Oh, yeah, You're tough. taught to be the weak link. Exactly. You know, you You're don't tough. want to fail your team. When you build a bond with these men and women on your left and right, and you've got to trust them with their lives as much as they've got to trust you with their lives. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's, you don't want to let anybody down, much less yourself. So, yeah, it's, it's a hard spot to be in, be damaged. And, and I'm in a hospital bed, blown to pieces, and I still felt guilty that I couldn't go there with my battle buddies and my, my team. And, I mean, I know exactly what these guys are going through. And they're looking at it. They're looking at me, they're looking at these amputees and going, oh, well, I'm not as injured as you are. I just, you know, I have a hard time thinking. You know, or I have anger issues. And, hey, you know what? Physical health 
just as important as mental health. Absolutely, and you mentioned the suicide rate. We're going to get back to that. We've got another break we need to to take care of right here. Folks, we are on America's Web Radio. My name's Doug Dahlgren. You are listening to The Prologue with Staff Sergeant Shiloh Harris about his book, Steel Will. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government as well as those involved in legal cases have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay. And we are back. This is Doug Dahlgren. You're listening to the Prologue on America's Web Radio. Our guest today is Sergeant Staff Sergeant Retired Shiloh Harris. His book is Steel Will. Uh, Shiloh, uh, men and women who survive trauma like you have, the battle wounds are, like we said earlier, often. Uh, obvious and yet some of the others are not so obvious they're covered up by the mental toughness that we all go through and expect from our military veterans um that denial can be a killer isn't it uh, that denial of the symptom of PSD, ptsd is something that you're really heavy working with and trying to talk to people about all the time is that right that's absolutely right and uh, you know you, we talk about still you've been talking about the book you know through the process I want to tell you a little secret. Uh, I hadn't—I I used not to tell people this, but I felt like it was important here recently. But uh, you know, I didn't really want to write a book. I didn't. There's a, a lot of information to put out there, and if I ever change my mind, I can't—I can't call everybody and be like, you know what? I, I changed my mind. I don't want to share my story with the world. But uh, you know, I, I was—I had been already talking to a writer. And, you know, we was back and forth on the idea. But I had a, a young man that was. Uh, in in my platoon that I was a platoon sergeant for before I went to the platoon where we got blown up and he was that guy that stereotypically you know when you hear bad things happen you go oh I can't even imagine 
and when I found out about him, I was like, there's no way that he took his own life. He was such a happy person. He was he was the light of our platoon. He had the most beautiful smile, beautiful young man. And he took his life. He took his own life. And I was like, it just crushed me. And I was thinking, I started thinking about all the people I'd lost in combat. Not just my crew, but like, you know, other friends and, and stuff like that. And I was like, I have to write this book. I have to try to prevent any more suicides. I have to. And, you know, I wanted to share my, my personal story as a catalyst. I wanted to share my successes to my recovery. I talked about things that not a lot of people want to talk about, which is suicide. And I had my bout with that. I talked about that dark place there in my coma. And we also shared some information so people better understand PTSD. There's quite a bit of, of uh, quite a bit of the book in the back of it, you know, that the, is resources we're offering. I wanted to make sure people had the resources there in their hand. They can go on there, and they, they can they can read that book, or they can go to the website organizations that I'm associated with. I mean, we we really want to help people, and that's and that's what that book is for. We no. want people to have a good read. Yeah, it's a good read. But I really want people to walk away with a better understanding of what we, like you and I, in uniform, have, have dealt with and that recovery process. Now, you travel the country speaking to groups about this as well. I mean, the book is marvelous. It's a great resource. And, again, folks can go to the website, uh, www.shilohharris.com, and at Shiloh, just like the Neil Diamond song, uh, in fact, you were named uh, for that particular song, weren't you? But you do speaking engagements uh, all across the country. Can people find out how to get in touch with you on the website as well? Absolutely. They can go to the website, and, and they would like to uh, book me for an event. They can shoot me an email. We've got uh, contact on there, and uh, they, they can send us details and get back in the book. Uh, right now, we're doing an average uh, I say we, uh, my manager, probably quite a bit, but doing a better job for me. Uh, but we're on average probably nine speaking engagements a month. Wow. And we, 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 uh, we, I love getting out there. I love to make a difference. And I have a, a wonderful support system, and somebody would love to, like to have me come out and talk to them, talk to their schools, talk to their company. I'll be more than happy to do that. I'd love to do it. Well, the book is amazing, and we want everybody, again, to get out there and order this. Uh, folks, those of you who were inclined to donate to projects like the Wounded Warrior Project, well, God bless you for that. Uh, there are also a lot of local veterans advocacy groups that you can donate to. We'd hope that you look into those. Shiloh, are there any of them particular that uh, come to your mind as your favorites? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, one, of my, one of my organizations that I am so proud to be a part of is the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. They do so much for so many. Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. Okay. Yes, now, do they have a website? Yes, sir. I believe it's saluteheroes.org. Saluteheroes.org. Okay. All right. I believe so. For sure, you can Google or Bing Coalition to Salute America's Heroes, and it'll pull it right up. All right, real good. Or they can reach out to you through your website if they have trouble Absolutely. finding it. And, yeah. And again, folks, we just. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I
I'm so sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Finish up. Well, I was going to say, I think we have a resource. They're on our resource page on the website. So if there are other organizations or if people have other interests, you know, like housing or uh, car repair, something like that, you know, they can go on there. And, and uh, I think we have most of those on our on our website. I'm on coalitions there, helping a hero, uh, Patriot Project. You know, I, I, uh, I try to hand-pick a few that are just doing marvelous things. Well, that goes... It's, uh, well, that goes along with that quote that we started the show with, uh, building bridges to open hearts. That's what you're all about. Your emphasis today is awareness, bringing attention to our wounded veterans and those with the visible and the invisible scars. And it's really the basis of your saying that I quoted, uh, like we've mentioned before, building bridges to open hearts. And, folks, you are the open hearts that we're trying to get uh, those bridges built to. So we want you to get out there and uh, look for this book. It's Steel Will. Subtitle is My Journey Through Hell to Become the Man I Was Meant to Be. And it is by Staff Sergeant Retired Shiloh Harris, and it was written with the help of Robin Overby Cox. You want to mention, uh, Robin, just a minute and tell us about your co-writer? Uh, Robin, she is just an amazing person. Uh, her brother, I met him at an event. Uh, he's a retired Army colonel, and uh, we we hit it off. And he said, Shiloh, you should write a book. And I was like, well, I wouldn't know where to begin. I'm not sure I want to. And, but he introduced me to his sister anyway. Come to find out they have a history of military experience. Her husband was military, her father, and obviously her brother. So uh, she was able to uh, understand and help translate a lot of the things that I was saying and help pull out some of these feelings. And, and uh, she's just she's such an amazing writer and uh, an amazing counselor on top of that. She really helped me out quite a bit. Well, Shiloh, the book is just absolutely tremendous. Uh, it's just a it's just a tremendous read. It's a very touching read from start to finish. And, again, I implore our listeners out there, uh, look it up. Order this book. Uh, go through Shiloh's website and ask him to send you an autographed copy. Uh, it's it's really worth the price. I'm telling you. Um, Shiloh, is there anybody special that you would like to say hi to out there this morning? Well, I want to. I definitely want to say uh, to you know, for bringing you and I together, and, and all the. Uh, I know that he's given us all a mission, but uh, you know, all the servicemen and women out there, thank you for your duty. Thank you for your service right now. And uh, all those veterans that have served, I want to say thank you. You're not alone. If you think that you need some help, man, we need you to step up, do the right thing. Uh, we need you to get some help, okay, because we don't want to lose you. And I love you, and I know Doug loves you. Outstanding. Shiloh, I want to thank you again so much, partner. I know it's been tough for you this morning after that surgery you went through. But I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you coming on. And I want to thank uh, your assistant, Jamie Buckhorn, as well. Jamie, thanks again for all your help putting this thing together. And uh, if there's anybody else out there that would like to be uh, a part of this program, uh, another veteran or somebody who has a book out there about veterans and their situations, get in touch with me. Reach out. Uh, my email address is Doug at DougDahlgren.com. I'd be more than happy to talk to you and see if we can't work out something to have you on the program and get your message out there. So, folks, once again, the book is Steel Will. The author is Shiloh Harris, a U.S. Army Staff Sergeant retired and is co-written with 
Robin Overby Cox. I want you to look for it on Amazon or go to www.shilohharris.com for additional buying options. Folks, that's going to just about wrap things up this morning for the first edition of the prologue. I hope you get a feel for what we're trying to do here. We want to bring you books that are important, the books that you may not have been aware of before. And prologue is an introduction, and that's what we're here to do. We want to introduce you to material that you uh, really need to know about. And Shiloh's book is one of those. So, again, I want to thank David here at America's Web Radio. This has been fun. Uh, I think there's going to be some replays through the weekend. Again, this is Doug Dahlgren, America's Web Radio. We'll see you next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.